to be in Mark 9, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles there with me, Mark 9, 14 through 29, and we will be reading that in just a minute. How do we know if we're not very teachable people? I couldn't really find very much research on this, so I thought about my own life and what defenses I employ when I'm not open to hear what others have to say. In other words, what kinds of things do I do when I'm closed to learning something new or when I'm challenged and don't want to be? Here's the short list. Defensiveness, not listening, making excuses, blaming others, distancing myself, stalling, lying, shutting down, being dismissive, I'm not done yet, gossiping to make myself look better, changing my story, lashing out in anger, intellectualizing, pointing out the flaws in others, feeling sorry for myself, and just sometimes being a jerk. Now, the discouraging part is how easy it was to come up with that list. Now, I'm not trying to be overly negative here, but this is real life. This is who we are. And all of us have patterns that we repeat when we believe that we're threatened or when we're just not open to hearing something different. Recently, our family saw a documentary about this guy. Maybe you saw it too. Mr. Rogers, best guy ever, whose life passion was to create a safe space for children so they could keep learning about themselves and the world around them. We used to watch reruns with Liv uh, when she was little, and we learned all kinds of things. How crayons were made, and how they make sneakers, and construction paper. But one thing that Mr. Rogers modeled so well was how we have to talk about everything, and how he just did it in such a way to show kids how good it is to do that. That it's by talking to others and asking questions that we make friends It's by doing that that we learn about the world around us, and we need to really listen to the answers. Of course, what Mr. Rogers most wanted children to know was the gospel, was how much they were loved, and that they were supposed to go and love other people. His show teaches us we never stop growing, which is why in the documentary, adults say how watching it now is therapeutic for them. So when you think about it, How teachable are you? We usually self-report to be better people than we usually are. But in your life recently, how have you responded to push back or for an opportunity to grow? I bring all this up because in today's story of healing, what Jesus emphasizes as he challenges the audience is how teachable we have to be. And nowhere is that more important than with the Lord himself. And so what we see in this interaction is how Jesus reminds those present that being teachable makes a difference. Here it makes a difference in suffering, and it makes a difference in how it is that we try to help others. So we want to talk about two aspects that Jesus brought out, faith and prayer. This is a story about healing, but it's not on Jesus' power. Really, it's about discipleship. So let me read uh, Mark 9, 14 through 29, and see what the Lord has to teach us through this passage. 
When they came to the disciples, Jesus and Peter and James and John, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran forward to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able. All things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out only through prayer. This is the fourth and last exorcism in the book of Mark. Last week, we talked about the transfiguration. Peter wanted to build houses for the heavenly visitors, not understanding that he was in their realm, not the other way around. And most commentators think that Peter was attempting, of course, to honor Jesus and Elijah and Moses, while also trying to prolong their time together. Because who would want to leave that amazing place to come back to earth? In the year 1516, the Italian Renaissance painter Raphael was commissioned to paint a picture of the Transfiguration for a cathedral in France. It was his last work. It was considered to be his best work. Look at what he did. He painted the Transfiguration as it is found in Scripture as it is happening simultaneously with the disciples trying to heal the possessed boy. It's genius. In so doing, he shows how the two realms are full of life at the same time, not very far from one another. But the experience of those who dwell in one are vastly different than the experience of the other. On the mountain, we see there is awe and wonder and purity and glory. And on earth, there's the reality of sadness and darkness, disease and frustration. Jesus is the one that ties it all together. And soon he is going to come down to meet the scene below. And by showing some of his 
followers a vision of heaven, he is helping them to understand more fully who he is. Because they're going to have to continue to minister to people down below. While most of us here have never had a beautiful vision of heaven, we know that when we spend time with him that God fills us so that we might go out and do the work he's given us to do. There is foreshadow then in this painting. When Jesus comes, he will change the outcome. What Jesus walks into is chaos. At once, he takes control of the situation, managing everyone to bring order and calm. Think about the complexity of what's happening here. One author I read said this, He found disputing scribes, a distracted father, a demon-possessed boy, and defeated disciples. He silenced the scribes, he comforted the father, he healed the boy, and he instructed the disciples. As we read this, we can relate to both the boy's father and also to the disciples. We are people who understand sorrow in this life. We are acquainted with grief and the desire for the Lord to bring his healing touch where it's needed. We know what it feels like to be burdened by a situation we cannot change. But we also understand what's happening with the disciples. We have prayed for someone and not had the expected results. We empathize with those who try to do good, but somehow miss the mark. It takes Jesus showing up to change the situation, and he brings a lesson on faith and, pure, and prayer that we need to think about. Because what the disciples and the boy's father have in common is that they're teachable, that they're willing to take the next step that Jesus is calling them to. So first, let's talk about faith. Here, faith is mentioned twice, once as a generalized statement about the whole generation, And then again, as Jesus reprimands the boy's father in verse 23. In this story, the Lord calls out a distinct lack of faith in those present. The crowd, the parent, his closest followers, even we, as we read it, feel a bit of the censure. One thing we notice here is how everyone is distracted when Jesus arrives. And Raphael captures this well. There's pointing, there's arguing, there's consulting, there's despair. It's almost as though the boy is suffering while everyone is dealing with their own emotions about it. Years ago, we went down to L.A. and heard a really great speaker at a women's conference we went to. And she said, you know, in a crisis, everyone goes to their favorite bad feeling when they can't figure out what to do. Mine's guilt. Yeah, everyone goes to their favorite bad feeling. So we know that the scribes are arguing with the disciples. We know there's a big crowd adding to the dynamic. But as the church, this is a lesson for us. Because how often does the real need hear the boy get overlooked when we're distracted by drama? You see, we can't let people get forgotten in their pain while we argue over theology, while we argue over the best way to help somebody. Sometimes we leave hurting people in their struggle to manage our own stuff or to deal with those who are attacking the faith. But people should always come first. While it may have started well, the disciples decided to engage those who were disagreeing with them, and they allowed that attack to distract them in a key ministry moment. Why does Jesus make such a big deal about faith here? 
He's saying that faith is necessary for healing. This is seen specifically in the boy's father, who seems unsure if Jesus can truly help. Of course, this makes sense, because the disciples weren't able to do anything. As Jesus comes down the mountain, he says to the disciples, Why are you arguing with the scribes? And before they can answer, a voice out of the crowd says, Well, I'll tell you what happened. And then he goes on to tell what happened and said, I asked them to cast out the demon, your disciples, but they could not do so. You see, this is where the man's doubts lay. It is not that he disbelieves. He's here seeking Jesus. He is just of two minds about whether or not Jesus can heal. Listen to what the Serendipity Bible says about faith. Faith is the assertion of possibility against all probabilities. In spite of any contrary indications provided by our experience of life, or the realities of this world. Faith reaches into the void and trusts Jesus. You see, this man is saying something that we don't very often say in our prayers. In our prayers, when we ask for something, we often will say, but Lord, we want your will. You see, Jesus taught us that in the garden before he went to the cross. Lord, I don't want to do this, but if it's your will, I'll do it. And sometimes we feel that way. I really don't want to do this, but I want to align myself with who you are. That's not what the boy's father says. What he says is something different. If you are able, he says, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus reacts strongly to those words. You can almost hear him, you know, he says, if, if I'm able... Everything can be done, he says, for those who believe. The man then utters what has become a familiar refrain for those who seek the Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. This is the man's teachable moment. This is the point where he turns and he says, I get it. I understand. I know who I'm talking to now. Help me in my unbelief, because as humans, we hold both in our hands. We hold faith, and we hold doubt. And this man is able to pinpoint exactly what is going on. Faith is a complex issue. And this passage is not saying that the sole responsibility for Jesus to do something lies with a broken humanity. There's not a tipping point when God heals because we have shown enough faith. It's not a game. We don't get everything we want just because we believe. But what this is saying is God's power is available to those who have faith. And that we don't set any limit on what God can do. Sometimes when we ask and we don't receive what we want, sometimes we blame God. Sometimes we blame the church. But sometimes... Maybe the Lord is saying to us, where is your faith? Maybe it is our own lack of faith in the process. See, we know that believing means trusting. And trust comes from experience of time spent together and being honest and knowing the character of the one we trust. And as we look around our world today, what would Jesus say about faith in our generation? What would Jesus say to us right now about our faith? As we see repeatedly in scripture, Jesus is responsive to the needs of people. So what 
is the nature of your faith in the Lord right now for the things that you are going through. And the question is not whether or not you have doubt. The question is, are you willing to learn and to grow through that doubt so that Jesus can take you to the other side of that so that he can show you who he is? Are you willing to ask for help in the places where you struggle? Help my unbelief could be the cry of all of us. The second lesson here that Jesus teaches is about prayer. Jesus heals the boy by commanding the spirit to come out of him. And what a beautiful moment that must have been for that family. And we who are so distanced from this say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the healing that you bring. The failure of the disciples is mentioned twice here. It bookends the story, what they could not do. When they could not help the boy's father, it appears that the scribes took them on. Or maybe the scribes took them on for even trying in the first place. We talked about how this took the focus off the boy. It took them away from being present. We don't want anything to take us away from being present to what God is doing in front of us. It shows us their defensiveness. So sometimes people come and they confront us and they challenge us about our faith. And we might want to just fight back. We might just want to go high reactivity and just tell them how wrong they are. But that isn't always the best way. Engaging in a fight is not necessarily what was most needed here. That the disciples chose to argue shows us they're probably embarrassed at being not being able to do something in such a public forum. Their moment of teachability comes when they ask Jesus, why? Can you help us understand why we couldn't do this? No, we understand this. We understand what it means to want to help sometimes and to fall short. We know the frustration of thinking that we know how to do something only to find out that it wasn't effective. That's really, I think, the root of the issue here. They tried, but what they did wasn't quite right. And I'm so glad that they asked because sometimes they don't. They just choose to talk about it behind Jesus' back. I think that them asking is a good model for us. That we can also ask, why Jesus? What was it that I did? Was it something wrong? Jesus' answer is direct and interesting. He says, this kind of evil can only come out through prayer. Now, we could probably spend a long time about talking about this kind of evil and what that means. But it makes us wonder what exactly they tried in the first first place, right? So they didn't pray? So the guy is in front of them, and so what did they do? They've healed people before, and so maybe they tried what had been done before, Because it worked, and they thought that that was maybe a correct formula. So as humans, we want to do what works, and then we want that to work every time we try it. That's the easier way, but that isn't always the God way. It's often more complicated than that. Jesus here, I think, is telling them that their prayer life is weak. That their connection with him is not as strong as maybe they thought. You see, they didn't bring God into the healing. They did what they thought was right, but they must have done it apart from him. Whatever we do for God must be done in conjunction with his spirit. 
We have to discern what it is that he wants in a situation where we're praying. And I have to tell you that this scripture and thinking about this scripture this week has actually really changed how I've been praying. That prayer involves so much listening, but sometimes our list is so long. And the needs are so great. And yet we have to really take time and understand what the Lord is doing and take time to deal with our own soul and to really listen for discernment. We get a sense here that the disciples got ahead of themselves and we don't want to do that. They also ask the question, though, in such a way that puts the focus on themselves. Why couldn't we do it, right? That often is kind of the place where we go to, thinking it's all about us. And of course, in their culture, there were sorcerers and magicians who did things like healing and did things for show, did it to make people think that they were great and that they had all the power, and it was quite disconnected from God. And Jesus is always careful to pray to the Father, always careful to give glory. There's no weird incantations, just a consistent trust in the Father so that his love might be shown to the world. That's why we help. That's why we bring healing, so that God's love might be shown to those who need him. This trust is what the Lord is calling the disciples out about. It's not enough just to pray in the name of Jesus. Prayer is done in tandem and in conversation with him. The point of talking to God is not to give people what they want. It is to understand and tap into what the Lord wants to do in someone's life who is in front of us and who needs us. And so we want to always make sure that we're listening. Verse 29, the word prayer there means not a momentary request. It means a life of closeness with God that is lived out daily. And what Jesus wants from his followers is the same closeness with them that he shares with the Father. So we stop and we ask ourselves, what is our prayer life like right now? What are the ways that the Lord might be calling you deeper to know him more that you might be changed as you want to bring help to those around you? How is he drawing you closer to closeness with him? So being teachable is more than being humble. It's a willingness to keep growing even when it's difficult or painful or we don't want it. That's why this passage highlights discipleship. Jesus is providing a way for everyone listening, his closest disciples, the Father, us, to make a change to this encounter. Every day we make choices. Every day the Lord wants to say something to us about what it is that we're doing or who it is that we're being, and we have a choice of how we'll respond. And so today we come humbly come before him, and we confess that we lack faith. And we confess that sometimes our prayer life is not what it should be. And so we ask him for help. And the question is whether we'll be teachable to the Spirit of God, who always brings assurances as well as grace. So let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.